It's one of the deepest, richest, most important books of the Bible, Romans. In this message, join Pastor Chris Chadwick and learn more about what the Bible says in the book of Romans. Great seeing you this morning. You may be seated. Would you take your Bibles and turn to the book of Romans, chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 in your Bibles today. Have you ever met someone who was trying to change but for the wrong reason? Or maybe they tried to change a little bit too much? I mean, you know what I'm talking about? I was at Home Depot not too long ago and I saw a dude who was my age, meaning young, (laughs) trying to look younger. And he was trying to do so with uh, like spray on, rub on tan. You ever seen dudes do that? He has a spray rub on tan. And it's like he was doing it in the middle of the night because as he was rubbing on, he forgot to go past his knees. And it was just all over the place on his calf and it looked like uh, spaghetti strings of tan on his legs. And he thought he was looking cool because there was an object between him and his shins called his belly and he couldn't see them. And I just wanted to go to the dude and say, bro, you're trying too hard. In the love of Christ, stop it with the tan or go to a tanning salon or go to the beach. But you, you, you got to do better. I wanted to take a picture and give it to him. And everybody, everybody noticed it. Everybody noticed that the dude was trying too hard. I read the fictional story this week. It's fictional. It's humorous story this week of a middle-aged woman who had had a heart attack. And she was on her deathbed and... And uh, she had uh, uh, died, she said, and she saw the Lord. And when she saw the Lord, she said to him, is my time up? God said, no, your time's not up. You have 42 years, eight months, and two days left to live. Well, this middle-aged woman was stoked about that. So while she's in the hospital, she decided to, to, you know, give it all she's got the last 40 plus years of her life. So she uh, had a facelift while she was in the hospital, liposuction, a a tummy tuck. She had someone come in and and she got a new hairdo and they changed the color of her hair and a makeup uh, artist come in and show her how to do makeup, a a clothing person, a a consultant on design and clothing come in and get her a a whole new wardrobe. And she was, she was stoked. And she left the hospital looking like a completely changed person. She's leaving the hospital to go home. She walks across the street and she is nailed by an ambulance and killed. That's not the funny part. And she's killed. Arriving in front of the Lord, she demanded, Lord, I, I thought you said I had another 40 years. God replied, sorry, you changed so much I didn't recognize you. (laughs) Ever meet somebody like that? Change is natural in every area of our life, and it's needed in every area of our life. Um, uh, The church and my wife went together and got me a puppy for uh, my 50th birthday. And the puppy is 10 weeks old this week. We've had her for 10 days. And uh, let me tell you, in those 10 days, she has gained almost a full pound and she's grown in length, probably an inch or two. And we looked at her last night with like parental remorse as she's laying in her kennel. And we're like, remember when she was so small just 10 days ago? She's changed. Change is desired for our children. 
Everybody loves it when their babies are born. But if your 14-year-old is still cuddling up with you and drinking out of a bottle, you're probably thinking, like, son, it's time for you to change. As a general rule, we change in our careers. What was once exciting may not have the same level of excitement for you anymore. Marriages change for the positive, sometimes for the negative, but things change. It's a natural part of life. Let me say with emphasis, our text this morning found in Romans 6, verses 15 through 23. We'll, there are six points on the subject we'll look at, three this morning and three tonight in our uh, service tonight. Paul is talking about the grace of God, and he is talking about the reality that the grace of God is supposed to change us. The grace of God is supposed to make us different. You're supposed to be different because of the grace of God. The grace of God does not leave us in a static position. As we come to this passage in Romans 6, it's a, a important for us to understand the appropriate, the obviously appropriate amount of time that Paul, through the inspiration of the Spirit of God, has been dealing with the reality that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Matter of fact, he's been dealing with that. He dealt with that in chapter 3, verse 21, all the way to chapter 5, verse 21, over and over again with redundancy that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Say that with me. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. You've got to understand that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Grace, that's a supernatural enabling of God that brings about change. We'll look at that in just a minute. Uh, faith, my complete and utter trust in the Lord and only through the person of Jesus Christ. This may seem obvious and overstated to some of you who have grown up in Bible preaching and Bible teaching churches or you were saved in a Bible preaching and Bible teaching church or you've been investigating this through a Bible teaching and Bible preaching church. But make no mistake, there are a very large number of churches that preach grace is not enough and faith is not enough. They say you must earn your way to heaven. Others say you have to cooperate with God in order to uh, merit enough favor with him. Some will even go so far as to say you have to work your way to heaven. And because faith alone and grace alone cannot save you, they say, we have to come up with some things you have to do in order to be saved. Things like keeping sacraments, following the confessions of men, giving monies, Wearing certain clothing items, speaking in tongues, praying to idols, living a monastic or a monk life like, or a monk life like. I cannot say that today. <laughs> a monk like life. There you go. Yeah, see Sally sell seashore somewhere. So it's a reality that men want to add a burden to faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone. 
I need to prove my value. I need to prove my worth. I need to prove that, that God is, is, that I'm worthy of the Lord saving me. I've, I've got to have some skin in the game. There's embedded deep in the heart of many this fundamental concept that grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone is just not enough. And that's why Paul deals with it in the second major division in the book of Romans, chapter 3, verse 21 through 5, verse number 21. And it's emphatic that we understand that. And in a licentious world, a world just given over to sin like the world that we live in today. There's a, an attractiveness to that if we're not careful. To say, oh man, let me show you what I've done to earn salvation. Let me show you how I've cooperated with God. Let me show you what my efforts have been. As a matter of fact, that's the very thing that Paul warns us against in Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 8, Paul says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. If you could do something for salvation, if you could earn salvation, if you could merit favor with God because of your efforts, you and I would walk around saying, look what I've done to merit favor with God. You say, well, pastor, would you really do that? Man, I'm a trash talker by nature. It's almost like I grew up in Chula Vista. Some of you from Chula Vista are like, oh, I know what he's talking about there. It's almost like I did. I mean, we, we are self-promoters at our very core, are we not? All of us. And that, that doesn't make you different than me. We're all in the exact same boat. We're all self-promoters. Even the, 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 the self-effacing person who says, don't look at me, don't look at me, don't look at me, is really behind their back going, please look at me, please look at me, please look at me. Don't notice the fact that I, or please notice the fact that I don't want to be noticed. I don't know you how many numbers of people in my life have told me things like this. Pastor, I, I really love serving the Lord. I just, I just like serving behind the scenes. I don't want to be noticed by anybody. I really just like serving behind the scenes. I don't want to be noticed by anybody. I just like serving behind the scenes. Well, if you don't want to be noticed, stop telling me you don't want to be noticed because now I'm noticing that you don't want to be noticed, so you're noticed. Man, I'm not being critical of that spirit. Don't get me wrong. I'm not being critical of the person who serves behind the scene up for a second. I'm just simply saying we're all self-aggrandizing to a point. And, and, and Paul is helping us to understand the fundamental need that we have to live the truth of God's grace. This, is, this question of grace is what Paul is answering. And there's the people that want to draw attention to their work and their efforts, but there's another very powerful group of people and in many ways much more populous or much more prominent that were saying things like this. Well, if I'm saved by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone, then can't I just do whatever I want whenever I want? It's what Paul says in verse number one. What shall we say of chapter six? What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Can I just keep on sinning that we, so we could see God's grace? Can I just keep on doing my own thing? 
So this is the question Paul is answering. Now, we understand that grace is the supernatural enabling of God that brings about Christ-like change. Grace is the supernatural enabling of God that brings about Christ-like change. You are saved by grace, by the supernatural enabling of God that brought about Christ-like change. And in the area of salvation, it is imperative that you understand that you are saved by the grace of God, the supernatural enablement of God that brings about Christ-like change. But you are also sanctified by the supernatural enabling of God that brings about Christ-like change. You're not changed by it. We're not changed by you, me, anybody. We're not changed into Christ's likeness because simply because of our efforts. We're saved uh, by the grace of God and we're sanctified or changed by the grace of God. So Paul said to the church at Colossians in Colossians chapter 3, verse number 5, where he says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Mortify means to kill or to make dead. Mortify your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. In the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off these things. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing ye have put off the old man with his deeds. And have put on the new man. Man, which is renewed in the knowledge, renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. We are sanctified, verse number 10, by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and in our daily lives. In our lives. Well, that's very clear in Scripture. Very clear. But whatever God makes clear, Satan wants to distort and confuse and bring chaos to. And it's almost like God knew exactly where we would be in 2022. God knew exactly where we would be as a group of people, as churches, as individuals in 2022, where it seems like there is this this inordinate, this this bizarre desire to be as ungodly as we could possibly be and yet claim to be lovers of Jesus Christ. And so Paul begins to deal with, in verse number 15, some truths, and I want you to listen to me clearly, some truths about the grace of God. And I want you to notice firstly this morning in verse number 15 where Paul says, What then shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? God forbid. Some truths about grace. Number one, grace does not give you the license to sin. Grace doesn't give you the license, a license to sin. There's a burden to the law. Paul had been talking about that, and so Paul is asking a, a, a rhetorical question in verse number 15. Shall we continue in sin? The person under the law is always, always struggling to keep the law, yet he is constantly aware that he fails and comes short of the law. If you try to prove your worth by keeping the law of God, the Ten Commandments and the other 410 plus commandments, if you try to keep the law to prove your value and your worth, you will constantly be reminded of the reality that you fall short and you cannot keep the law. The book of Galatians says it very clearly. 
The whole point of the law is to prove that you cannot keep the law. Well, I'll prove I'm good enough before the Lord. No, the whole point of the law is to prove that you're not good enough before the Lord. I don't say that to be unkind. I say that to be truthful. Because every one of us in this room have violated the law. And truth be told, we still do. There's a burden of the law. A person who tries to live proving their values struggles and strives and wrestles and grasps and grasps and, and works and labors to obey, but his experience is full of tension and pressure and disappointment and discouragement because he cannot keep the law. He accuses himself. He's down on himself. He feels unworthy and undeserving. And ultimately, he just gives up because he can't do it. Job chapter 9, verse number 20 says, If I justify myself, mine own mouth shall condemn me. If I say I am perfect, it shall also prove me perverse. If I say I'm perfect, it'll prove me perverse. If I, if I try to justify myself, my, my own mouth is going to condemn me. My own mouth is going to prove my, my lack of value, my lack of ability to, to be obedient to the Lord. Psalm chapter 40, verse number 12 says, For innumerable evils have compassed me about. Mine iniquities have taken hold upon me so that I am not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of my head. My iniquity is more than the hairs of my head. Therefore, my heart faileth me. There's a burden to the law. I don't understand why people would want to go back to that. But there's a joy of grace. Look at verse number 15. What shall we say then? Shall we, or what then shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? God forbid. The true believer is under grace, not the law. God is not a legal judge hovering over the believer to punish him every time he, he sins by breaking a particular law. The believer is, is not under such a frightening dominion. He is enjoying the blessing of grace. Well, what does that mean? We're not under the law, but under grace. It means that the believer accepts the grace of God demonstrating, demonstrated in Jesus Christ. That is, the believer accepts Christ's righteousness, the sinless perfection of Christ, as his own righteousness. This is why we said over and over again in chapter 6, in the first six messages of our study, that the believer is co-crucified with Christ. You're on the cross with him. And, and, and some people even still are struggling, like, like what do you mean? I mean, in, in some an amazing way that only God understands, it's beyond our comprehension, to be honest, but I was crucified with Christ. That's what Paul says in Galatians 2.20, that exact phrase, I am crucified with Christ. He's not speaking metaphorically there. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. It says in verse 21, 
I do not frustrate the grace of God. The word frustrate means to nullify or make void. I don't nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness came by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. If we could have proved our righteousness by keeping God's law, if we could have proved our righteousness by keeping God's commandments, then there's absolutely no point in this world that Jesus should have died for. There's no reason for which Christ should have died. With all of that said... There were some in the church who were arguing, since they were saved by grace and not works, that their salvation is eternal and they should be allowed to sin. So it's like the message gets to Paul. Paul, because I'm saved, I'm good, so I can do whatever I want. Since I'm saved, I, I can go down to the gas lamp area of Rome on Friday night, get lit up with the boys and... and just hang out. Find some woman and satisfy myself. I know I'm married, but I'm good because I'm saved and I'll be with the Lord. Can't I do that? We're not under the law anymore. So, so why do I have to obey that? Paul says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin? Or, or what shall we say then? Because we're not under the law, we're under grace. And Paul says this, God forbid. That, that's a strong phrase that literally means this, absolutely not, in no way, may it never be. A thousand times no would be a, a, a literal translation of that. A commentator said this about this verse, the mere suggestion that God's grace is a license to sin is self-contradictory. Is a logical as well as a moral and spiritual absurdity. The very purpose of God's grace is to free man from sin. How then could grace possibly justify continuing in sin? Grace not only justifies but transforms the life that is saved. A life that gives no evidence of moral and spiritual transformation gives no evidence of salvation. Grace does not give you a license to sin. Well, I'm saved. I can look at porn. I'm going to heaven. I'm good. No. Absolutely not. God forbid. Grace does not give you a license to sin. It never has. It never will. You don't have, I don't have a special agreement with God that we can live as sinners. Our lives are to be consistently and constantly transformed into Christ-likeness. Number one. Number two, found in verse number 16. Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Grace lets you choose your master. Grace lets you choose your master. And who you choose proves who your master is. And who you choose 
proves who your master is. You know, the Bible talks a lot about choosing God. I mean, he's not requiring or forcing himself on people. All the way back to the Old Testament in Joshua chapter 24, verse number 16. Joshua's talking to the children of Israel as they're getting ready. Joshua's about to die and he's uh, not long for this world. He'll be with the Lord in a short period of time as far as chronologically in Joshua 24, 15. And he's talking to the children of Israel and he says, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You can choose these other gods. It's your choice. But the house of Joshua and his children, we're going to serve the Lord. Joshua's about 100 years old when he uh, made that, a little over 100 when he uh, preached that message to the children of Israel in Joshua 24. And he's talking about kids who are in their 80s and grandkids who are in their uh middle to late 60s and great-grandkids in their 40s and great-great-grandkids in their 20s and great-great-great-great-grandkids that are 10 years old. I don't think he had anyone younger than that. And, uh, but he's talking about all of his house. We're going to serve the Lord. It's a choice. And that's what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 6, verse number 16. Know you not or, or aren't you aware? It's a, a rhetorical statement. Aren't you aware of this piece of information that who you yield yourself to, his servant you yield yourself to obey, his servant you are to whom you obey? Yield, you present yourself, you, you make yourself available. The idea here is one of a willful choice. Don't you know that who you willfully choose to obey, that's who your master is? Servants. Now, when we think of servants, modern day vernacular, you might think of a butler or maybe a maid or a house cook or something like that. But in Paul's day, the word servant was a doulos, which was a slave, and it was a person who was legally owned by someone else. Know you not that to whom you, you're legally owned by someone else to, that's whose you are, and you get to make the choice as to who your master is. Paul's day are, would have been very similar to this. Well, our day would be very similar to Paul's, I guess I should say, because he was first. And that is the ownership and selling of human beings, which is entirely wicked and 100% wrong 100% of the time. And I don't know that there's very many things in this world that infuriate me more than slavery. And you say, yeah, a couple hundred years ago, I'm told today by people who study this that there's a higher percentage of slavery in the world than at any, or a higher number of slaves in the world than at any other time in human history. Most of them today, and I've been to villages where people are sold. I've been through Southeast Asia, and I've seen children uh, as young as three and four years old being sold and owned by people. I mean, I, I've been there. Debbie would remember the story of it was even offered to me that I could buy a child for $500, and that child would be mine 
I, I find that repugnant on every level. And I would think you would too. San Diego is not insulated from this. We're one of the higher sex trafficking areas in the world where we set, where, where uh, uh, sex slaves are trafficked through our city. And not just traffic through, they stay here because we live in a wicked, wicked city that needs Jesus. But I'm sure that maybe your mind could be conjured up in Paul's day of a, or maybe a 150, 200 years ago in our country where there would be a mass slave auction and they would bring a man up and he would stand on a block and he would be, I'm, I'm thinking of some imagery and some, some artwork of slave, the slave trade here in America where a man's arm or hands would be tied and he'd be standing there and there'd be a rope around his neck and he would be standing there and men in the crowd would begin to look at him and size him up and see how hard he could work and how old he was and, and uh, whether he, could, he would be strong and durable or intelligent and could they use this man to their benefit and then they would begin to bid and there'd be an auction and then before long in a horrific scene this man would be taken off the block and given to a new master and then he would have to do whatever that new master says. It's horrible. Come on, is it not horrible? Am I the only one? I mean, it's horrible that we would see slavery because of the color of a person's skin or their socioeconomic status or the religion that they have. And even if we would disagree with maybe the religion they have, gives us absolutely no right to own a human being who is created in the image of God. Absolutely none. And we would look at that and we would go, oh, terrible. But Paul is saying here, know you not that to whom you yield yourself servant to obey, his servant you are to whom you obey. It's almost like the auction is inverted. Because he says of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. It's almost like you have an auction block and it's an either or auction, not an and both auction. And they've got sin unto death up on the auction block represented by Satan and obedience unto righteousness up on the auction block represented by Jesus Christ. And you get to choose your master. Well, what do you mean, Pastor? I get to choose my master. Well, you're the one that gets to choose who will be your master. Well, how do I choose who my master is? Do I pay some money? No. It's by who you yield yourself to. Who you yield as a slave to. Paul doesn't remove the imagery of slavery here. Know you not? Don't you understand that who you willfully surrender yourself to, his slave, his doulos you are to whom you obey. So if you obey sin... Satan, then he's your master. And listen to me. And you made the choice. And if you obey 
righteousness or Jesus by the grace of wonderful grace of Jesus. You've made that choice. But Paul is saying, don't you understand that to whom you yield yourself servant to obey, his servants you are, to whom you obey, whoever it is that you're obeying, they're your master. It would be like this. Like if you had a job here in San Diego and your boss was here in San Diego and you're selling widgets and your boss here in San Diego said, listen, I want you to do an email internet campaign uh, to sell widgets. But you have a friend back on the East Coast and you know they're grouchy on the East Coast. People from the East Coast, we pray for you. Y'all need more sun <laughs> and less humidity. The reason people are quiet today is we've had humidity and too much heat here in San Diego. Come back in two weeks. We'll just be the life of the world. I mean, we'll be back to our happy place. Uh, I mean, y'all on the East Coast, you live in that, like air conditioning and heaters. Like you get to go outside like once a year where it's not horrible. <laughs> we pray for you. The Bible says to consider those who are weak and sickly among you. And so we do. We do. <laughs> But you have a boss back. I'm just teasing. If you're from the East Coast, I'm, I'm really teasing, sort of. Um, but you're, seriously, you're back, you have a, a friend back on the East Coast, and he's in the same industry, selling the same widgets. And he says, oh, no, don't do an Internet campaign. Don't do that at all. What you need to do is go door-to-door uh, in a retirement mobile home community, and you'll probably do just as many sales. Well, you got one boss saying, do an internet campaign. That's what I want, a marketing, mass marketing campaign on the internet, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all over the place, Google ads, get that going. And another guy saying, go to a retirement trailer park community and sell it. Well, if you work for the guy that says to the internet campaign, but we find you Monday morning at noon in a, in a retirement uh, community with trailer parks, you could say all day long that this guy is my master or my boss, but really it's the guy on the East Coast because you're doing what the guy on the East Coast has told you to do. So you could say all day long, I love Jesus, I love Jesus, I love Jesus, I love Jesus. But if you're not doing what Jesus said, he's not your master. That's what Paul is arguing here. It's not my argument. I wish living for Jesus was nothing more than going, yeah, I'm I'm good. My flesh wishes that. But Paul is making this argument. Whoever you willfully surrender yourself to, that person is your master and you are their servant or you are their doulos. We don't like the language of slavery, but that's what it is. So you can say, I love Jesus with all my heart, but if you're getting it on with some dude down the street from your house... You're proving who your master is. Well, I I couldn't live without Jesus. I only watched porn on Monday and Tuesday. No, then you're proving who your master is. Well, I can't live without Jesus, but I'm not going to church. Then you're proving who your master is. Ah, boy. Jesus is the only way, but I'm not going to tithe. Then you're proving who your master is. 
We had fewer amens on that one. And we're proving who your master is. You can mean mug me all day long, but you can't change the authority of the word of God. Some of you have to come to grips with, the, with yourself that it's the pride and the arrogance in your own heart that says, no, no, I'm not doing that. I don't care what anybody says. I'm doing my thing. Okay, then you've proven who your master is. <laughs> I've got to have Jesus in my life. I've got to have Jesus in my life, but I don't want to serve anybody. I said this at the 8.30 service. I'm not a people person. Well, you don't have to be a people person to serve. You have to be a Jesus person to serve. And if Jesus is your master, then you're going to serve people out of your love for Jesus because that's what he's commanded us to do all throughout the scripture. I'm not going to serve. I'm not going to give. I'm not doing anything. I'm just going to go and sit and live my life. Okay, then you're, you can make that choice. You're just proving who your master is. And here's the deal. You ready? You get to make that choice. Nobody else is making that choice for you. Nobody else. Oh, but pastor, my marriage stinks to high heaven. And if you knew it was like, okay, okay, your marriage might stink. But let me ask you, are you ministering to your spouse? Because a marriage can be saved by one spouse. Debbie will tell you for sure. That's a slow growth joke right there. For people in Utah, we got to wait a while for that one to land. My marriage stinks. Well, well, are you serving your spouse like Christ loves the church? Are you loving your, your spouse as your own body, especially men and women? Well, I just think that they've got so many problems. I'm not even going to deal with them until they get all this. Okay, then you're proving who your master is. You say, well, it can't mean that. Well, I might be wrong, me and the 32 commentaries that I read. And just the simple reading of the text... And you don't have to have a degree in theology to get this out of there. You just have to know how to read in any language. It's not like in the Spanish Bible it says something different. I was going to try to come up with a Spanish phrase, but I got lost at El Diablo, <laughs> which is the name for cat in Spanish. <laughs> If you're a guest here, I don't like inside jokes, so I'll tell you, I hate cats. You say, there will be no cats in heaven. The Bible says, the lion will lay down with the lamb. The lion is Greek for nice big dog. <laughs> it really is. You just have to study Greek. It, it's a special Greek language that that word refers to. Oh, oh, here's one. I like to deal with every area when I'm trying to make some application. I love Jesus, but I'm ticked off at everybody. Well, he that is angry dealeth foolishly, and a man of wicked devices is hated. If you live in anger, you're proving who your master is. Amen. I love Jesus. I just see the problems with everything. No, you have a critical spirit, and you're proving who your master is. And you get to choose. Grace lets you choose your master. But who you choose proves who your master is. 
And some of you have to come to grips with the reality that you've chosen sin unto death. You say, well, I'm a believer. Okay, Paul's talking to believers here. But the end state of your choice still leads to death. There's nothing eternal or long-lasting. And tonight we'll see the the eternal implications of this. But there's nothing eternal or long-lasting in your decision. You've made a decision to serve that which brings death. Which is an extremely painful reality as a pastor to watch people make these decisions. I was with a group of young men who want to be in the ministry in Hawaii. I was with them. There were, I think, 10 of us and 10 or 12 of us. It was kind of a Q&A. And the question was asked, Pastor, you've been in the ministry now almost 30 years. I've been in the ministry uh, this November. Pastor here, 20 years, but I'll be in full-time vocational ministry 28 years. And it's hard to believe, 28 years. That's how much older my sister is than me. And... um, (laughs) 28 years I'll I'll be in ministry and they said you've been in ministry 28 years what's the most surprising thing uh, that the thing that surprised you the most in ministry and this is what I said watching people make choices to walk away from Jesus watching people make choices they're always incremental Nobody goes in their heart from full-on faithful servant of the Lord on Sunday morning to cheating on their spouse Monday morning. It's step after step after step after step. Nobody goes from faithful servant of Jesus Christ to homeless addict in two days. It's step after step after step after step. And the most painful thing is watching people do that and warning them and praying for them and preaching to them and exhorting them and taking them to meals and having difficult conversations with them and talking over and over and over again and still watching them walk away from Christ and do their own thing. And then they end up, as the stories that we know after being here almost 20 years, the hundreds of stories, unfortunately, of the people that have walked away from the Lord and their life has ended. Now they're still alive, but their whole life is in shambles and, and wrecked because they chose their master, but they didn't want the product of sin unto death. The great joy in ministry, which I ended the answer with this because I always like to end positively even though I don't always. The great joy in ministry is watching people who stand at the same exact crossroads and have the same exact opportunities to make the same exact decisions and watching them choose obedience unto righteousness. Watching men who leave on deployment and say, Pastor, hold me accountable while I'm gone. I I know that people say all the time, Pastor, what happens on deployment stays on deployment. How can I be held accountable while I'm gone? Will you hold me accountable? Can you get me an accountability partner? And watching men go on deployment and come home and rejoice with their return home and, and there be no cloud and no sin and no guilt and no pain because they were obedient to the Lord the whole time on deployment and they've come home and now they get to re reunite in righteousness with their family and it's a wonderful wonderful celebration they were standing at the same crossroad they just chose obedience because Jesus is their master and unfortunately the others chose sin unto death and then verse number 17 God we thank you were the servants of sin but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you 
Grace transforms us. Grace transforms us. The transformation of the Christian life into Christ's likeness and Christian maturity is a wonderful work of God's abundant grace. There was a time when the flesh was active and alive. You were the servants of sin. You were the slaves that do losses to sin, the destructive and depraved act of sin reigning over unbelievers. He's talking to believers here. You were even influenced by sin, the sin that is persistent in your life. Sin is an evil slave master to unbelievers and it doles out paying with the currency of sin and death and and decay. But to the believer, we've been delivered from that. It's, It's a wonderful experience. Flesh was active. No one, as I said earlier, no one ever walks away from Jesus and Bible doctrine without at some point regretting that decision and regretting it in a big way. If sin is your master today, it might be fun. But the day is coming that you'll regret. You'll regret the affair. You'll regret the porn. You'll regret the theft. You'll regret the cheating on your taxes. You'll regret the alcohol use. You'll regret getting high. You'll regret the bitterness that you taught the next generation that lived in your house because you didn't want to get right. There'll come a time, whatever it is, you'll regret it. If sin is your master, it's going to be fun, but there's going to come a day when you'll regret it. You'll regret those outbursts of anger because you're teaching it to your children or you're inflicting that pain on your spouse. You'll regret the defensiveness and the withdrawal and the the walking away and the lack of relationship. You'll, You'll regret that. Notice what he says, though, in the text. God be thanked you were the servants of sin. It's past tense. I'm sorry to to wrong. You you were a slave to sin before salvation. Now you have the potential for victory over it. And you have the victory over it because of the transforming nature of grace. You have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. I'll talk about doctrine tonight. Obeyed, you, 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 you leave means to listen, to, to follow, to do what you're told. It's a, it's a one-time event that happened in the past. And you obeyed from the heart, the innermost being. The meaning here is, is that obedience is a willful obedience. It's not forced, it's not contrived. It's putting all of your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. And then once you're saved, grace never leaves you to yourself. It is transforming you and working in you and, and, and making you more like Christ from the heart. It's my last puppy illustration of the day. But having a puppy is kind of like having a kid. They begin to overwhelm your life. And we got this puppy that you guys and Debbie got me. And 
And um, the puppy is awesome and, and extremely intelligent. Now, I know everybody probably says, my puppy's really smart. Well, I've got another puppy, and he's the dumbest animal on the planet, all right? So I'm going to be honest. I've got one that's dumb and just barks. That's what he was bred for. You bark at stuff that scares you. So that's kind of what he does. He's getting too old to get scared. Now he's like, oh, you want anything in this house? Take it. Take it. On your way out, get me a cheeseburger. I mean, that's just how he lives his life. But the puppy, the puppy is rambunctious, and we're training it, super smart. Last night for five minutes, I, I was working with her on how to sit, and within five minutes, she got the command to sit. I'll have to reinforce it over and over again. But literally, in less than five minutes, she, she got sit. It was with a lot of manipulation of, of treats and stuff, but she, she got the, the word sit. But she doesn't, she doesn't really like to obey. She's part poodle, and they're, they're the worst dogs ever. They're just so stubborn. And the other day, I took her outside to, to use the bathroom, and, and she was outside, and she took care of business. And because she's still small, Debbie doesn't like her to be outside by herself. I'm kind of like, you know, not a Darwinist, but survival of the fittest. And Debbie said right after we got her, she goes, I was outside, and I mean to tell you, there was a pterodactyl over our backyard, and it was going to eat her. And I just looked up. It was the biggest hawk I've ever seen in my life. I went outside. All I could see were sparrows. And Debbie's like, we better not let her out here on her own. And so in an effort to love my wife as Christ loves the church and he is the savior of the body, I... I I'm going outside with a dog to watch a dog use the bathroom. How dumb is that? And so she takes care of business. It's like 6.15, 6.30 in the morning. I'm like, let's go back inside. <laughs> it's hot. <laughs> like we're in Florida. And I'm like, let's go inside. Ground's wet. And uh, she loves the water. She loves the rain. I'm not exaggerating. I mean, she loves the rain. She loves water, being outside. She just loves it. And I'm like, let's go. And she thinks we're playing. So I start running back into the house because if you run, she'll chase you because she thinks she's something bad. And she'll chase you. And I got to the patio. We have a little grass patch. And I got to the patio. And I kept running. And she would not get on the patio. And I look back at her, and I'm like, Molly, come on, let's go. And she did one of those, like. I'm like, no, 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 don't nod your head at me. Let's just go. Come on, we got to go inside. And so I, I'm talking to her, and I'm doing every manipulative tactic. I go and I get food, and she doesn't want to come inside. She's as stubborn as she can be. I finally go and get her and I have to pick her up and I have to bring her in the house and she's crying the whole time because she wants to be outside. That's the exact opposite of what obeying from the heart means. Eventually being forced to do something is not obedience from the heart. It's stubbornness and it's resistance. And Paul says, but God be thanked you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. You have obeyed from the innermost being of willful obedience. And for the non-believer, it means that you put 100% faith and trust in Christ. And to the believer, it means you allow grace to transform you. Some of you who are here today are very much a legalist. 
in the modern day definition. Traditionally, legalism means this. It means that you add things to salvation. That's the group we were talking about earlier that adds sacraments or last rites or confessional booths or certain clothes or speaking in tongues or whatever. That would, that would be traditional legalism, Galatians legalism that Paul deals with in the book of Galatians. But modern day legalism says this, if the Bible doesn't say it in chapter and verse, I'm not doing it. And some of you are here today going, I don't care what anybody else says in this world. I don't care any biblical principles in this world. If the scripture doesn't say it, I'm not doing it. There's no heart then in your walk with Christ. Or very little. I'll be married 28 years in December. My wife doesn't ask a lot of me, but I do so much for her. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But she doesn't ask a lot of me. She, 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 she just doesn't. She's a really great uh, girlfriend. <laughs> well, she better be my girlfriend. I can't have another one. Uh, but she's just, it's just great. But I feel like I try to do a lot for her because I love her with the innermost being of who I am. She doesn't require it, but I do it. Our family's never lived by the, by the ungodly principle, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. But most of my life, I try to live to make her happy. Why? Because I love her with my heart. You know what? When you love Jesus with your heart, grace transforms you. It changes you. That's what grace does. It transforms us. Is grace transforming you? If we could invert this, is grace transforming you? If not, it's not because grace doesn't transform. It's because you've chosen the wrong master. And you've chosen a master that's given you a license to sin. Well, what do I need to do, pastor? Repent and choose a different master. Well, what master? Obedience and righteousness. You're here today and you're like, yeah, I see grace moving in my life and working in my life. That's awesome. It's because you chose the right master. Keep serving the right master. And stop thinking that you'll figure it out in a better way. No, no. Serve the right master. Obedience unto, de- or, or, or obedience unto righteousness, sin unto death. Grace changes us. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior... The grace of Jesus Christ, Christ died for you and wants to give you eternal life. And his grace will change your eternity. If you'll believe from the heart that form of doctrine which is delivered to you right now. That Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. You have to accept his grace by faith alone. You can't earn your way to heaven. And if you'll accept his grace by faith alone, he promises to give you eternal life. And believer, if you'll live in his grace alone, obedient to him from the heart, he's going to continue to transform you into Christ's likeness. And with that transformation comes a bucket load of joy and peace and gentleness and long-suffering and meekness and kindness. Why? Because we serve an amazing, wonderful Savior. But we are 
changed by Christ. So much more I want to say. Time will not Father, bless our time in the Word. Thank you for listening. Hear more messages today at CanyonRidgeBaptist.com. If you're in the San Diego area, please join us for a service. We meet on Sundays at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 5 o'clock p.m. Pacific Time.